Aloha, welcome to another season of Talk Story, the podcast for the pilots of Hawaiian Airlines. I am Hawaiian Airlines MEC Secretary Treasurer, First Officer Sean Lee. Fresh off a special election, HAL MEC status block number three, Captain Sean Kimura, and our two safety experts today, HAL Central Air Safety Chairman, Captain Scott Clark, and Fatigue Committee Chairman, Captain Mike Compton. How you guys doing? Good. Good. Glad to be here. Hi, Sean Lee. Welcome. Welcome. Great. Sean, let's start with you. We just had a week-long MEC meeting in the room next door. How, how'd it go for you? How was your first ever MEC meeting? You know, I think it went uh, as I expected it to. Lots of information and uh, lots of good information. A lot of things I think our pilots are going to be looking forward to that uh, we're going to continue working through. Give yeah. me a quick bio. You're, uh, when were you hired here? I was hired in 2016. And then what fleets did you go through? I got hired into the 330 and then came straight to the 717 after that. Wow. So upgrade in, what, three years, four Awarded years? in about two and a half years. Wow. Went okay. to uh, class in the year three and been on it ever since. In COVID, you know, I got uh, kicked back to the 330s and FO, got displaced. I was on that fleet for about two months before they sent me back <laughs> to the 717. <laughs> That's half the pilots and, uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> two so months stint on another fleet. I think everybody's familiar with that uh, debacle. Yep. yep. But... You know, it's it's working out. We've got a lot of great guys on the 717 who are also waiting for training in new airframes. You know, so I know that uh, everybody's working really hard to get that squared away. I know when I started, it was a, uh, uh, you look at a giant mountain of work to do. And uh, we've luckily, at least on the MEC level, have a ton of willing volunteers within the MEC to help us with that task. One, uh, one of which is here right now, Captain Mike Compton. You're the chair of the uh, Fatigue Committee. Uh, right. Tell us a little bit about what you do and what the Fatigue Committee does. Well, the Fatigue Committee uh, really came out of Part 117 when 117 was uh, promulgated by the FAA. And some people may remember pre-117, basically we had rest rules that said how long you had to have rest prior and how long you could work. But it didn't take into account... Uh, time of day, number of legs, uh, changes of uh, time zones. It's not perfect, but it's it's better. Um, there's still some things that need to be fixed in 117, but uh, vast improvement. Well, one of the things that 117 did require was that each airline uh, produce a fatigue management plan. Scott, you work very closely with uh, 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 Captain Compton here on the fatigue committee and and this is a major part of the central air safety committee at the mec huge yeah yeah it's huge and it was a part that i had very little understanding of to be quite honest and part of the reason i asked for this podcast was due to my own ignorance and i'm thinking well if i'm pretty ignorant on this i bet you there's a whole lot of other people that are just as ignorant as i am on understanding fatigue and what we do and mike and i were on a layover and JFK going to some Alpha training in Orlando. And we were just sitting down drinking coffee, and I just started asking him questions. And he's filling my head full of procedures and this and that. And I was thinking to myself, I should probably bust my phone out and record this. <laughs> you know? Sure. Like, yeah. You know, and that would kind of thought, well, maybe this is something we could do on a podcast, you know? Because I'm, I'm like, what do I do if I'm fatigued? Who do I call? Uh, I mean, is Peter Clark going to call and yell at me because I, you know, delayed a flight because right. I called in tired or, or, you know, uh, you know, is it crew scheduling that tells me when I'm not fatigued? I honestly, I had no idea. And I think there's a whole lot of people out there because we don't have language and that's something like 
might t- might talk about. We're trying to develop some language that is a little more of a guide for all of us to use, including the company. So that's what Mike is hopefully going to explain to a lot of you is what do we do when we're fatigued? So let's start there, Mike. I'm, let's say wow. we're on a trip. I'm fatigued. I've had it. I, I'm not uh, able to fly anymore. What do I do? Well, fatigued, uh, you call out fatigued. And that's, uh, that's obviously the easy answer. That is obviously what I'm going to say. And it's, uh, but not at all obvious. Sure. And the reason it's not obvious is because as soon as you wake up in the morning and start your way down the stairs or whatever, you are no longer resting. You are getting more and more progressively fatigued. I mean, you are less rested, if you will. Uh, at some point, though, you become unable, unfit, if you will, to fly. And it is a fitness to fly. We have lots of things that are fitness to fly. We need to be healthy. I mean, we have to have our medical. We have to have currency. We have to have recency. These are all things that make us fit to fly. But fatigue is one. It's a very important one. And it's, uh, it is a relative fatigue. Are you safe enough to fly what you're planning to go fly? And if you are not, then you call out fatigued. And calling out fatigued is fairly simple. It's through our current language is just calling through the uh, sick procedures. Uh, we will be charged sick leave generally. Not a big deal. Should be no questions asked. Uh, they do have a fatigue script, quote unquote, at scheduling. Or you can call the standard call out line uh, for sick. And um, they should just acknowledge it. I would ask that you would fill out a fatigue report. It's not actually mandatory to fill out a fatigue report if you're calling out sick before you depart on a trip. Hey, if, however, you have a hotel on a layover that the fire alarm goes on and uh, you call fatigued at that point, then we would ask for a fatigue report because we need to document that for obviously lots of reasons. It's delay of the, of the uh, flight and so we can go back to the hotel and sure. there's lots and lots and lots of reasons sure. why we need to uh, document that. And the fatigue report's a good way to do that. In addition to a maybe hotel report, I think, mm-hmm. uh, the hotel committee would really appreciate that. So yes, um, getting off of fatigue, we don't have language right now. And uh, that is one of the big things is a procedure for fatigue. We'd like to get that so that you're automatically unfatigued after maybe a certain period of time, or obviously at some point you become unfatigued, unlike some of the other fit to fly issues so but right now we have to call in well and we have to call in well prior to night all our standard sick leave rules so that that's it any repercussions coming from that is the chief pilot going to call you or what's what happens let's say you you take a massive delay and you're still in an outstation what happens after that no we've never had any uh, problems with uh, calling out fatigued i believe uh, we have a really good uh support all around that it's a recognition that we actually have a fairly fatiguing um, airline in general. Uh, We fly east from our base, forcing really early morning wake-ups on the uh, west coast. We fly early morning in our island. We fly late in the evening. We fly multiple legs. We fly lots of augmented operations. If you wanted to look at an airline with some potential fatigue issues, we certainly have it. And I think there's a recognition that uh, all the way, um, Bob Johnson talks about it all the time, that uh, fatigue is one of our major risk factors, and I doubt we'll get any pushback on a fatigue. Now, on a, on a layover, if you call out fatigue, they're not going to just read a script and hang up. Uh, they're going to want to know 
when you might be unfatigued and uh, that's reasonable. They need to tell the passengers sure. something. We need to get the airplane ready and fueled for you when you're unfatigued. So I'd like to have that same discussion when we call out pre-departure. You know, but uh, right now it's, uh, yeah, they're definitely going to have a talk so that, you know, okay, the fire alarm woke me up uh, sure. four hours ago. Give me a couple more hours and we'll, should be good. And then that's what you should expect. And just to be clear, it doesn't take a fatigue call to need to file a fatigue report. If you are on an overnight that's just consistently hard to sleep at a hotel that's consistently noisy, you can fill out a fatigue report for any number of those reasons. Absolutely. A fatigue report is basically a safety, uh, um, it, it's, it's, it's an observation. You see something, say something. It's a, a hazard report. Sure. I mean, it's specializing in fatigue. The current form is kind of long. It's under WBAT. We're fixing that right now. Uh, real information I need to get from that is, you know, what airplane, what was the issue, you know, um, get get to the narrative, get to the recommendations. A lot of questions about melatonin and how right. long you slept the last three weeks. And if that's great and then that's relevant, then please uh, fill all that out. We'll certainly do look at all that when I'm but uh, the narrative and the suggestions is what we're really going to go for. We've identified for sure three things that uh, make the inner island uh, pairings particularly uh, fatiguing because obviously we've been doing fatigue uh, inner island for a very long time. Sure. Uh, but something changed uh, in June about last year. We've uh, quadrupled our fatigue reports in our island. Um, long sits. Um, We've had sits before, but long sits, planned or unplanned, mostly planned. Uh, aircraft swaps, we do more of those than we used to. We're trying to optimize the schedule. And then the interalignment overnight, uh, particularly if it went from a p.m. to an a.m., now we have much longer sits on, uh, overnights. That they're, they're not the min rest overnight that seem to improve, but there is a software limitation. So we've been asked, uh, it's, it, it's clear that flying more legs the second day is more fatiguing. It's better maybe if you're going to have seven landings or eight landings. Do that the first day, then have a nice long rest. Um, and then second day, six landings seems to be a, a good cutoff, uh, just judging by the reports. It's seven and eight, I'm getting reports. Maybe less than that. But if you go into the software for scheduling and you say max landing six, um, that makes every pairing max landing of six. And that is not ideal for most uh, inner island who's trying to build a uh, a particular schedule. So we don't want that overall limit. So there was a rumor going around that there's an update for that software coming out. Is that is that actually happening or is that just a rumor that's floating around? Just to clarify for the guys who might still be hoping for that to come out. <laughs> I've been told twice by two different individuals uh, that they are changing up the, uh, uh, the, the scheduling software. We have a lot of limitations with the current software that we've had it for a long time. So it's it's I believe it's coming. I don't know that it's going to be soon. And it's going to be painful when it changes because we're so used to what we have. And the sits, how long are you seeing the, the sits? Are they the, I know they're scheduled sits most of the time, but a lot of the time, and I've seen them myself, it'll be an hour and 45 or, you know, Hilo to Maui sit for an hour and 20 in Maui and then another hour and 45 sit as soon as you get back to Honolulu and then three or four more legs after that. Yeah, so on the sits, uh, any sit where you sort of come down off that edge, that that uh, that rush of inner island flying, I think if you fly, fly, fly with about 20, 30-minute break, you know, where you get you something to eat and head back out the door, it seems like you just stay on stay on target. 
Uh, if you come down off of that, then that, that appears to be in anything over about an hour, then you know, just it's got to have a little more than uh, to, to get back into it. And then the second thing is is Maui and Hilo and, and to some extent, Kona, there's just no place to sit. You know, yeah. here yeah. in Oahu, yes, great, you can go to the lounge, but boy, in Maui, it just seems like it's a never-ending. Hide in the Starbucks. And just sitting around at the gate is going to be fatiguing. And that's not captured by 117 in any way. It just, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. It's such Human a bizarre, factors. that's just the way Hawaiian Airlines specifically works. It's, uh, uh, and people won't know, uh, management won't know, the association won't know that it's a problem pairing unless you report it. And I want to drive that home, is that don't suffer in silence. And and you, you don't have to go full-blown nuclear and call out fatigue and, 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 you know, remove yourself from the pairing, let us know by filing a fatigue report. You'll flag that pairing, and we'll make sure that we'll do whatever we can to reduce a giant three-hour sit That's twice right. a day with a plane swap in the middle of it. Uh, it's it, it's you. What you do is very data-driven. I, I would love to throw a, a shout-out to Josh here because Josh looks at every pairing prior to the publication, and uh, he is very actively looking at, for fatigue issues. The long sits, aircraft swaps, multiple swaps, uh, uh, augmentation, these are all things that he, he catches before the pairings come out, and um, it's helped tremendously. We talked a lot about the 7-1, but the 330 has its own fatigue issues. We've got turns uh, to Samoa. We've got short West Coast overnights. Yep. What, what are you seeing in the world of the 330? Well, we've had some success, so we should probably touch base on that first. Uh, the, all the lower crew rest modules, were most of them were removed during COVID. Um, they should all be back. I believe there's only two left. Anytime you're on augmented flight, should be a lower crew rest module. And I want to know about it if it's not there. Fatigue um, report. Fatigue report. <laughs> you can even send me an email on text because it okay. should definitely be there. Now, obviously, scheduling them they may have some, but those those are we have more than enough aircraft with lower crew modules now. Um, okay, but American Samoa, and I, I mentioned this during the uh, last uh, all pilot call. The uh, uh, American Samoa is going back to three pilots, and it's going back to an evening now. One seventeen determines the flight duty period that's defined as the time that you report for any company duty till the time you're shut down at the gate with no intention to taxis and that time period is driven by the time of day that you report and the number of pilots and the type of crew rest facility to be clear we have all class two crew rest facilities provided the lower crew rest installed if it's not there it's type three and you're just sitting in the seats up top but okay so and you look that up the uh American Samoa flights will be 15 minutes longer. The flight duty period will be 15 minutes longer than the scheduled flight duty period. So it only has 15 minutes of slip total. And uh, we've made a lot of noise about our concerns about that, but the company has made a commercial decision that they're not going to add the fourth pilot, and we're going to go for it, Uh, even though American Samoa has some challenges turning aircraft due to COVID. And the bottom line in here is just reporting, is uh, if you are fatigued, call in fatigued. If you see something that can be fixed, file a fatigue report. And if you're unsure, reach out to the fatigue committee or the central air safety committee or reach out to the MEC, um, especially pilots who are new to this operation. For me, I came from Compass Airlines. They don't exist anymore. But all of our flying or most of our flying was north-south. 
where we weren't crossing time zones. And to go from north-south flying to trans-Pacific flying, where I'm now waking up on the west coast at 3 a.m. body time, is a huge change to me. And had I known this you know, fatigue reporting system was in place, I probably would have reported it a lot more. You brought up a great point, and it's something called acclimated that a lot of people aren't aware of, and that's uh, the 60 degrees of longitude. At, uh, 117 is all about that. If, if, if you are unacclimated, and that email is supposed to tell you whether you're acclimated or not, if you are unacclimated, you lose 30 minutes of your flight duty period available, and you would no longer, for instance, no longer be able to do a American Samalo because you, the it's only 15 minutes extra, so unacclimated wouldn't have enough flight duty period to, to accomplish that. But uh, basically, 60 degrees takes us out to a uh, little past uh, Australia, so Japan and Korea are outside, and yeah. a little past uh, Phoenix, so Austin and what East Coast is beyond that. Well, so and when we get Japan we'll back, we we have those reservists that fly Haneda Vegas and back and forth, and that's mm-hmm. such a wide you it know, is. That's beyond around 60 the world, degrees, yep. beyond 60 degrees, that you should be mindful that that limitation exists. And, and uh, 117 doesn't ask about whether you're going east or west. And we all know that right. one way is a lot more challenging to most people because you got to get up early. That's just hard. Scott, let's talk about uh, sanctuary safety. Let's back up and take a look at the bigger picture here. What, what have you folks been up to? Yeah, we've been... Uh, Working uh, pretty hard on a various, a few, few different topics here. One of the, the biggies that I'm uh, uh, attempting to uh, get started is a human factors committee. And uh, I sent out an Alpha communication recently um, looking for volunteers. I have one right now. So um, I want to get two to possibly three more human factor volunteers. And my ultimate goal is to develop a human performance team that is made up of uh, ALPA human factors representatives, uh, representatives from the company on both the flight ops and the corporate safety side, and various um, experts from those divisions as well that we want to put in this human performance team. And they would uh, be addressing a lot of the issues that right now doesn't have uh, a human factor type of uh, influence in those committees. In those working groups. So what what I found is Embry-Riddle has given us a carve-out course. It's one of their master degrees courses that uh, is, is a pretty in-depth uh, nine-week course in human factors. And it's online. It's uh, no tests. You basically just do the work, read the material, watch the movies, participate in the online discussions. And each week there's a different topic that you're going to go through. And at the end of the course, you can either do an individual or a group project that has something to do with human factors. Um, one of the things that, that was brought up with uh, my discussions with the company is potentially uh, a very in-depth study on the PFPM, Captain FO uh, relationships that, you know, like the 330 and the 321 kind of have different PFPMs, Captain FO um, relationships going on where the 321 is, we know, is PFPM. Um, so they mentioned to me that that would be a great study that they would like to see. So that would be the culmination of the course, and it's pass-fail. So I, I want to get the human factors uh, started as well as CRM. We don't have a CRM representative on the Alpha side to send up to the company, and the company is, has reproached me, and they, they would basically like us to participate a little bit more in CRM. 
and to help get this human factors, human performance committee going. So I'm working, uh, I'm working on that. Um, so big push. If, uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you think you might have an interest in it, you know, shout, uh, give me a shout, uh, Scott dot clerk two at alpa.org. Send me uh, send me a note or give me a call and, uh, We'll see what we can do. The next course that we're trying to get people to start is in August. And it's nine weeks online, your own time, uh, whenever you can get it done. Scott, there's been a lot of events happening uh, with Hawaiian Airlines. We've made the news a couple times last week. And I just wanted to uh, harp on our pilots to remember that uh, there is one number that they can call if they ever find themselves in any situation that needs attention of your committee or the MEC. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the, f- the first thing you should uh, you should think about is uh, calling the Alpha hotline. And there's orange cards. I've uh, set a whole bunch up down in uh, uh, Flight Ops, and there's also some here in the Alpha office. And there's also stickers. And I've taken the sticker, and I've kind of cut it up and stuck it on the back of my EFB. And the orange card has the numbers for you to call. There's a uh, uh, two numbers, a primary and a uh, backup, and both of those will get you to the ALPA national hotline. And the main thing that that is going to do for you is it's going to connect you with our ALPA lawyers, and they're going to talk to you and walk, walk you through everything you need to do. And, and the first thing they're going to tell you to do is don't talk to anybody except ALPA. You know, and then We'll go from there. We'll, uh, depending on the situation, we'll tell you what to do, um, where to go, who to speak with, who to not speak with, and we will help you get through this. And it applies to anything at all. Um, it doesn't have to be a major event. It can be something as small as a, yeah. a passenger incident on the plane that required a lockdown or required... For sure. Even yep. it doesn't have to be a diversion. It could be a, the talk of a diversion a maintenance issue, uh, even something not even on the plane. If you're in a city on a layover and there's a major event, we just had a whole crew of people in Sacramento doing uh, an active shooter event, that's the number you call. And uh, what triggers from that number is Alpa National reaches out to Scott and his volunteers, also member of the MECs and our volunteers, and we get eyes on your situation, and we get eyes on your situation fast. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike and Scott, thank you very much for all the work you do, and thank you very much for uh, coming in. Uh, why don't you share with us your uh, contact information, uh, your email address, if uh, our pilots want to get in touch with you? Oh, no, absolutely. Send it to my Alpa email. It's just first name, last name, michael.compton at alpa.org. And uh Always, 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 you can send us a dart. One that, that'll wrap up the various committees when we work together on those. Thanks. Scott? And again, uh, Scott, S-C-O-T-T dot Clark, C-L-A-R-K-2 at alpha.org. Sean? Yep, you can get in touch with me also, Sean.Kimura at alpha.org. That's S-E-A-N dot K-I-M-U-R-A at alpha.org. Correct spelling is Sean. Bravo. It's, you know. That's right. Hal Dash. Al-MEC at alpha.org if you want to reach the uh, MEC. Sean, welcome to the MEC. Mike and Scott, thank you so much for coming out. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for thank us. you for having us. It was great. When great we come fun. back, we have two uh, special guests from Alpha National, as well as our MEC chair, Captain Larry Payne. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of Hawaii Airlines MEC. Our next part, we have uh, two guests from Alpha National Finance. We have Karen Alley and Ashley Bennett. Hello, you two. Hello. Hello. Aloha. Um, Aloha. Welcome to uh, Honolulu. We have our MEC chairman, Captain Larry Payne. Larry, how you doing? Not too bad, Sean Lee. How you doing? We've been doing a lot of stuff in uh, D.C. lately, haven't we? Oh, my gosh. D.C. is the gift that just keeps giving. So so in the last three months, we've had um, executive board that I have to go to quarterly at Alpa National. Uh, You just got back from the legislative summit that you attended with Frank uh, Worthen and uh, uh, Ryan Devitt. You know, I, I think it's good. I think we didn't do enough stuff at National. I think we're, we're, we're doing more than we have before and, and using that partly because it's such a long way to go for us. You know, we, we uh, I don't want to say we didn't make the effort before, but we're definitely making the effort now to, to use the resources we have available to us there. And that's why these two wonderful ladies are, are here this week as, as part of the resources we have from Alpa National. And yeah, before, I don't know, five years ago, we were pretty much unknown entities at National. We're, we're on good terms with folks at National, and it's not just smoozing. It's it's getting things done out there. Well, and it's getting on good terms with the other airlines that are part of Alpa National. You know, we, we, we it takes a lot of time. I was just telling Doug the other day, it's taken four years to grow those relationships with the other airlines as part of Alpa National. You know, they're... MECs, their committees, their and all of our committees are are growing those relationships with those other committees from from different airlines. Yeah, listen, we're very grateful to have anybody from Alpa that comes out to Hawaii. And as you said, we're we're doing more on the national stage. The the national folks are coming out and using our resources out here to better their causes on many different fronts. And when you do that, this is the benefit you get. You you have the access to these folks like Karen and Ashley that come out and do great work for us. And and this week with them has been invaluable. I mean, we've done a lot of work with them this week. That's been great for the pilots. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, uh, uh, you, it's your first trip out here, but you, you deal with Hawaiian and several other Alpa carriers. Uh, tell us your experience within Alpa national. Okay. I, um, handle eight airlines, but Hawaiian is one of mine. I handle the flight pay loss. I'm, I'm your analyst. So, um, I also can assist with expense reports. So my job, you know, basically is to process all of the flight pay loss that comes through, pay the bills, look for errors, and try to save Hawaiian as much money as I possibly can. Ashley? So I am the lead for all of the analysts that do flight pay loss. So I don't um, touch Hawaiian on a daily basis, but I support Karen in doing that. Um, so we've been able to come down here and uh, kind of revamp our invoicing process with the company and um, find some missing credits that we were due and, you know, make some things happen this week. We had a, a pretty big meeting uh, with uh, us three, yeah. me, Karen, and Ashley on uh, Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? Yes. yes. Yeah. We had a pretty big meeting on Tuesday with the company. They took us up to the fourth floor, and we met some pretty key players within the company. Karen, tell us what we did up there and, and, and what that accomplished. Well, what we um, did with the Hawaiian um, company was to meet with the finance team and I think your scheduling team over there. And my goal was to meet my counterpart on the other end and let them know that um, – uh, Ashley had created a new invoice template, and we wanted to make things more efficient, faster, um, meet the contacts, you know, kind of face-to-face, and, um, you know, put ourselves out there so that we could um, 
you know, be available if they have questions, you know, build a relationship with them. Like, so Hawaiian's kind of weird in that we essentially create the invoice for them to turn around and bill us. And so that's one of the processes that has taken Karen so long to do in the past. By so long, I mean days to work up these invoices. And so Karen and I have been able to work together leading up to this trip and then in meeting with the company uh, this week to take that process from a several day process down to like a one day process. So hopefully we can get uh, back on track with getting Hawaiian paid faster and we won't be six months behind for much longer. It just shows the collaboration between uh, the association, HAL MEC, and the company. There's a lot. Many of our pilots uh, think that the only interaction we have with uh, the company is our negotiating committee. Well, that's a big uh, a chunk of our energy spent talking with the company. There's a lot of things that happen in the background. Accounting, finance, FPL, all that needs to get paid out. And there's a lot of little touch points that uh, on the day-to-day operation of the airline... Uh, we do behind the scenes and a lot of pilots don't realize that there's so much back and forth and it in order for the relationship between the pilots and the company to work there's so many hands in the background uh making doing work and making it making yeah making and, it work. and i think it's important to note too this isn't something that's unique to us this is like nope. karen said she i think you said you got eight different airlines yeah. this goes on at a far greater scale at some of the bigger airlines yeah. than just us. You know, you can imagine somebody like Delta or United, the flight pay loss, the right. leave that they have, that they put in there. It's, it's a big job, big yeah. job. What stood yeah. out to you when, you know, you, you've met several of our pilots this week and you've seen the operation more or less of what goes on in a week here. What stood out to you the most, Karen, over this week? I think, um, as you know, the pilot that we um, met yesterday, um, he was having struggling a little bit um, entering his flight pay loss. I mean, understanding what the pilots go through on a day-to-day basis, like, um, you know, putting flight pay loss in or putting their expense reports in, um, it's not something that's, you know, forefront in their mind um, and, you know, that that we can be of more value for them and we can, you know, be a point of contact and make things a little bit easier for them and understanding what they go through on a day-to-day basis. DC is so far from uh, Hawaii. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially with this yeah. time zone change. It's kind of, uh, I don't want to say intimidating, but it's it's never our, on the top of our mind to reach out to folks in DC to get help in Hawaii. But Ashley, you, you and your staff are always there to, to help us and answer phone calls and emails. Yep, always. I mean, you have all of our emails and They've worked worked for us for years, Mm -hmm. and they've never been sure of what we do out here. Nope. And we go to D.C. and see what they do there. They never get to see what we do here. Yeah. Right. So for them to come out and see what we do here, now they can go back and say, hey, you know, hopefully that helps them in what they're doing after watching how we operate, right? And, yeah, it's uh, to to get to dig into the day-to-day out here is probably a little eye-opening for you guys. Okay. You know, for us, we sit in an office back in D.C. and we, you know, we, we crunch numbers and we, we are those, essentially those nerds that just crunch numbers, right? And we, we fundamentally know what flight pay loss is, right? I mean, I know Alpha policy, we know Hawaiian policy, but we don't live or really fully understand the day-to-day life of a pilot, and that might sound terrible for me to say, but... You know, so it's been really eye-opening to come here and see you guys at work and see the pilots coming and going. And, and, and you know, first of all, everybody that has walked through this door has stopped and said hi to us and been super friendly to us. So just to be able to see you guys in, like, your daily grind, too, kind of 
um, opens our eyes to, okay, so this is what they need flight pay loss for. And when you guys are trying to justify things to me, like why we don't do siphons anymore, right? It, it helps to make sense and not just, well, because Sean said so. That's why we don't do it anymore. <laughs> Checks and balances. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Larry, we're doing a lot of things uh, at, at on the national stage. Uh, upcoming as the board of directors, we did an executive board. Um, just tell us the importance of um, being out there in the world, and and not only that we're we're not only we're doing events on the national level, we're also looking into things at home here, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, things are opening up again. You know, that, I think that was the first executive board. Uh, fully back in person uh, that didn't have some sort of remote uh, access to it. And that carries over to here. You know, we're going to have to um, get spooled up again. And we are getting spooled up again to do more in-person stuff. I mean, there still is COVID going around and you have to be careful. And there are different policies for different states, you know, and, and, and the way Alpa's doing their stuff. And so with that in mind, we're starting slowly to spool back up and do in-person stuff here, and, and we will continue to do more in-person stuff here. And, you know, we're looking to get an LEC meetings going again. We just had this MEC meeting we wrapped up in person, which was great to have everybody back in the office and then have to look at somebody on a computer screen. Um, and that being said, you know, we did schedule a date to have our next LEC meeting. You know, we had to run all the traps on that, make sure it was cool with everybody involved. Uh, but it's exciting to, to, to look ahead and, and think, man, it's been, you know, three years plus since we had a last in-person LEC meeting. And I think, you know, the pilots want it. It's clear they want to get back to doing in-person stuff. We want to get back to doing in-person stuff. So scheduling that and looking forward to that. we got a pub event that we're going to be doing end of July. So, yeah, it's, it's great to, to see that coming around again. Listen, we've tripled down on our communications with the pilot group. When COVID hit, we went all in on communicating because we had to. And we came up with, you know, different ways to communicate. One of those was the all pilot calls, mostly because we were restri restricted to that, right? And right. we, you were instrumental in putting that together, Sean Lee. And th those were great mechanisms to get information out to the pilot group. But as you know, when you're doing those, we're talking into a black screen abyss. Yep. You don't have that personal relationship. You can't see the people on the other end of the, of the call, right? It's difficult to get a pulse with just a digital question on the There's side no of reaction, the screen. Yeah. There's no reaction. You don't I get it. And, I, and you can't, I mean, you respond to somebody, you assume you've given them a correct answer, but right. you, I mean, you can't see the response. So yeah, listen, it's great to get back to in-person meetings. It's been, um, and we've seen polling data yesterday, uh, Doug Grant and uh, Phil Comps sat us down and we saw polling, polling data uh, strongly suggesting that the one of the key elements of of this MEC success is communications. And as our resident MEC millennial, I'm very happy to see that the all pilot calls have made an impact. Our YouTube channel has made an impact. Our um, podcast, these podcasts, these podcasts. You know, viewership is around half of our pilot group. We'll get maybe 500 hits or so. And I'm just happy to see that it's it's reaching out to the far reaches of our. Um, our membership because um yeah like i said it's we we do have three airlines in one three different fleets in one and uh you know i'm in my little bubble on my 321 it's hard to reach out to the rest of the uh, pilot group um i'm sure you know 330 is its own little world yep 
they're, they all are unique to themselves. You know, they all have their, their interests, um, that they, you know, that are of concern to them. And I get that. I understand that. And I hear about it all. So we just finished a WebEx event uh, where we uh, had all the volunteers of Hawaiian MEC on, and it went pretty well. I think we showed them how to uh, submit FPL and how to uh, submit expense reports on Concur, and it's kind of a lot to keep track of for your normal volunteer, isn't it? But it's very important that they get it right and they submit it on time. It is accuracy in your uh, entering of your flight pay loss and your expenses is the fastest way to get it approved through national, at least, so... Um, it was great that we were able to show them both systems, uh, PCS and N4, and uh, kind of knock that out so they have that uh, reference for the future. And I just, as the secretary, want to dig into if you make a mistake early on, it needs to be corrected either by me or Alpa National later down the line. It doesn't just get thrown out to the wind and poof, it disappears. And, and you two are very sticklers for accuracy. Yeah, so I'll be the first one to send it back if it's not right. Um, <laughs> in four, actually, we have to send it back. We can't fix it on our end. We can slash money off of it, but that's all the fixing that we can do, So, um, which just slows down the process of you getting reimbursed. So accuracy is always key. All right. Well, thank you both for joining us uh, uh, for our MEC meeting. It's been a real pleasure to have you both here, and we hope to see you back uh, in Honolulu sometime in the future. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. We've had a blast. And thank yeah. you. Safe Great travels home, and thanks again, guys. Oh, thank glad you this so all much. Worked out. Thanks, Larry, as always, for joining us. Uh, this is uh, Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of the Hawaiian Airlines MEC. If you have a question, you can email us at howcommunications at alpha.org or send us a dart at dart.alpha.org. I'm First Officer Sean Lee. We'll see you next month. Hi, I'm Declan, Doug Grant's son, and thank you for watching Talk Story.